Hallelujah. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Verses 7 and 8. Tonight we're going to talk about the discipline of prayer. The discipline of prayer. But refuse profane and old wives' fables and exercise. And that word exercise in the Greek means to discipline. Discipline thyself. Exercise thyself. Rather, unto godliness, for bodily exercise profiteth little. But godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is, and of that which is to come. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you, Lord, for your word. Would you help us tonight, Father? Lord, with this word, Father, I pray that this word would touch us and would compel us, Father, to seek your face. Lord, we need your grace to pray. We need... The, the spirit of supplication and prayer to be poured out upon us, Father. And I know, Lord, it's Your will that we seek Your face. I know, Lord, it's Your will that we know You, that we have an intimate relationship with You. And tonight, Father, I yield myself to be a vessel. Would You speak through me that we might hear You, Lord God, that You've offered us an invitation to know You, Lord. Would You help us discipline ourselves, Father, to seek Your face in Jesus' name. Everybody say it. Amen. Prayer is a discipline. Not going to pray unless you have discipline to pray. I've talked to several people in the last week or two that have told me how difficult they find it to pray. How they find it difficult to see God. How they, they don't know what to say or how, how to draw nigh to God. That's not an uncommon thing. You know, a child's not born and just learns to walk. That child, of course, it's natural for the child to walk, but the child has to learn to walk. I said it's natural for the little baby to learn to walk, but the child has to learn to walk. It's natural for those that are born again to pray. It's natural to have a heart to seek God, but we have to learn to pray, and that's a discipline. It's the foundation that the rest of our Christian walk will be built on. It'll either stand or fall on the discipline of prayer. It is the, the very most important thing that a Christian can learn to do is to pray and to seek God. And I know we've all heard that. And here corporately, we're seeking God's face. We come together, we're praying at least once a week, and then once a month, we have an all-night prayer meeting. But listen to me, if you yourselves don't have a passionate and intimate walk with God, if you're not praying, if you're not disciplining yourself to pray, then it's impossible that you and I would do the, the works of God. Because prayer is the essence of Christianity. Jesus said this is eternal life. That they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. If I don't know God, then I don't have eternal life. And how am I to know God unless I pray and converse with Him and walk with Him and have fellowship with Him? If we were to go out on the street here today and I would point across to, uh, uh, the street to a man that you've never seen before in your life, someone you've never met, never talked with, and I say, you need to know that man. You need to get to know him. 
And if you never walked across the road, never sat down with him, never picked his mind, never found out what was in his heart, never found out what he desired, what he liked, what he hated, then if you told me in a year or two years that you knew that man, you'd be a liar, you'd be deceived. No one would dare believe if you say you know President Clinton, but you've never sat down and talked with him. You know of him. You recognize who he is. But you don't really know him. If we're to be successful in our walk with God, then we must know Jesus. And I can't bring you to that place. Amen? I can't bring my wife to that place. I can't bring my own children to that place. That's for you to decide, for you to choose. The Bible says in the book of Daniel that in the latter times, the prophet Daniel prophesied this. He said, those that do know their God, they shall be strong and they shall do exploits. How many of you want to do exploits for God? How many of you want to be strong instead of weak? How many of you want to have an overcoming faith? Not to be on a roller coaster of emotion. This week up, this week down. This week you're contemplating backsliding. Next week you're, you know, shouting, running around the church. Then you've got to know your God. If you pray and you get to know Jesus Christ, if you know His heart, if you hate what He hates, if you love what He loves, you're going to be strong in the Holy Ghost. You're going to be able to stand on God's Word and come hell or devils or the wicked. You're going to stand in the face of trial and tribulation how by praying by disciplining yourself to pray and this is the first message that I preached here on prayer but it won't be the last because it is the most important thing if we don't draw nigh to God as a church it's impossible that we would fulfill what God's called us to do and there is a call there is a purpose if you're part of a local church that local church ought to be bigger than you Amen. Amen. There ought to be something here, a purpose that's much bigger than you that overshadows you, that you feel like you're part of something, the kingdom of God that's being accomplished in the earth. God's called us as a body. You're not just sat here because it's the most convenient place to come. Or you didn't come here just because, you know, it's the closest church down the block. You're either here because God sent you here or you're out of the will of God. If you're not sent here, then you need to seek God and find out where He'd put you. Because going to church is more than a spiritual club where you come on Sunday and sit down and hear a little Bible teaching. It ought to be a place where God's planted you, where your hearts knit one together, where there's a call, there's a purpose that God's got His hand upon us and He's called us for a work. But if we don't pray, if we're not disciplined, it's impossible that we'll fulfill what God's called us to do. And I don't want to stand before God one day and say, so many would have been saved if you would have just obeyed. So many would have saw the light if you'd have just obeyed. Your mother, your father. Oh God, would it be an awful thing to stand before God and say, your children would have been saved if you'd have just prayed. But you'd rather slept. Your children in hell tonight, sir. Your children in hell tonight, ma'am, because you wouldn't pray. You wouldn't obey my word. That's an awful thing. I don't desire that. Amen. God don't desire that for any of us. I've quoted Leonard Ravenhill before. Brother Ravenhill has said this, no man is greater than his prayer life. It may appear, a lot of people in the church, they talk about being spiritual, but I can guarantee you this, ain't nobody going to rise above their prayer life. Nobody. No church is going to rise above their prayer life. You go to a church, there's no prayer, 
you can rest assured there's all manner of sin, all manner of evil, all manner of compromise there. Because there's no way we're going to stand unless we fellowship with God. I can't stand on my own strength and neither can you. We've got to have strength from God. And the only way we're going to do that is through the discipline of prayer. One of the main reasons that the body of Christ lacks so much holiness, so much purity of heart, why you can turn on the, the Christian radio or the Christian television and you see such a lack of sincerity, such a lack of godliness, such a lack of integrity and character is because of prayerlessness. During the 1980s, 17,000 members of a major denomination, Protestant dom denomination, major evangelical denomination, they were surveyed about their personal prayer habits. This is the results. They was disturbing, amen? It testifies of the weakness of the conformity to the world. This is what the survey revealed. Most members of that denomination, when averaged together, they prayed an average of less than five minutes a day. Amen. Total them all up, divided by how many people they surveyed, five minutes a day. Less than five minutes a day. Even more disturbing, 2,000 pastors were also interviewed with alarming results. By their own admission, they prayed less than seven minutes a day. Less than seven minutes a day. Let me tell you something. If I pray less than seven minutes a day, you've been better off bringing your children up in a ballroom than up in here. Do you hear me? That's why you need to pray that I pray. That's why you need to pray that I pray. You better pray that I seek God. You better pray that I'm locked in with God because if I'm praying no more than seven minutes a day, then this place is going to bring forth death. That word says, seek my face and ye shall live. Seek my face and ye shall live. That means if prayerlessness produces and brings forth death, seek my face and live. Seek my face and live. That means if we don't seek His face, we're going to die. We're going to die. Samuel Chadwick says this, It would seem that the biggest thing in God's universe is a man who prays. There's only one thing more amazing, that is that man, knowing this, should not pray. Did you hear that? It would seem that the biggest thing in God's universe is a man who prays. There's only one thing more amazing. That is that a man knowing this should not pray. I'm going to challenge you tonight. You may not pray at all, but I can tell you tonight, if you'll pray for one hour for one month, you'll be a different man or woman. The eternal significance, the repercussions would be profound. If you'd pray for one hour a day, you say, I already pray an hour a day. Pray for two a day. You'd be a different man, a different woman. I don't know what to say, Brother Britt. Come on, wake up, awake, and arise to righteousness. Don't you got a mama and a daddy that's bound? Don't you got brothers and sisters that are bound by sin, bound by drugs, bound by alcohol and perversion and every manner of evil? My God, take the phone book out, open it up, put your finger down and begin to pray because chances are where your finger's at, the person don't know God. You got a lot to pray about. You just need to think. I don't know what to say. Amen. Get your mind off yourself. And get your mind on the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. He goes on to say, Brethren, the crying need of the church today is her laziness after God. And Andrew Murray adds this, To neglect prayer is a proof that the life of God in the soul is in deadly sickness and weakness. A prayerless Christian is carnal. You mean a carnal Christian? Ain't no such thing as carnal Christians. 
I said a prayerless man is carnal. A prayerless man is led and controlled by his flesh. A prayerless man or woman that won't see God. Got no spirit. It's weakness. It's defeat. It's over. Because why? Because that flesh says stay in bed. And then obeys. Who's Lord? Either Jesus or that flesh. Oh, I feel like praying. That's good. Remember what Brother Brooks said. Good intentions. That don't mean nothing. Lots of people have good intentions. Helly Maxwell said, We cannot live in the flesh and pray in the spirit. Prayerlessness is symptomatic of a life lived in the flesh, a lack of life in the spirit. We can read the pages of the Bible. We can find out those that did something for God are those that prayed. We can look in church history and find out that the men and women that affected their generation, they were men and women that sought God. Doesn't matter about your talents. Doesn't matter about your abilities. You may not be able to sing. You may not be able to preach. Oh, what can I do for the church? I can tell you what you can do. The highest, the most divine call that a man or woman can answer is that to pray. Do you hear me? The most high, the highest, the most divine call, the holiest, the purest call is to go in the secret closet of prayer where no man, no man can see you. No woman can give you praise. But you're seeking the praise that comes from God alone. Lock up where no one sees you. Pray for this church. Pray for souls. Pray for Woodville. Pray for St. Francis Bullet. You can shake this world for God. We want to be seen. Amen. We need intercessors right here. Every great move of God had those that prayed. Charles Finney had a man that prayed all the time as he preached. Would go into a place and lock himself. Father Nash they called him, lock himself in a room for days on end. Amen. It was said of those like George G.C. Bevington climbed in a log, prayed two or three days in a row. He said, I can't understand or fathom that. Listen to me. There ain't no man that's that disciplined. It's the grace of Almighty God. If we have a hunger, if we have a thirst to pray, then God will supernaturally move on our heart, draw us unto Himself, and give us a heart of overflowing that we can't help but pray. We gotta want it with everything. Say, I don't have that. You gotta have grace to even have a hunger. I heard a man, a story about a man that desired wisdom. In his day, desired wisdom with all his heart. He heard about what was so called the wisest man on planet Earth at that time, the, the philosopher Socrates. I know I know you've heard that name before. And he sought this man out and he traveled, you know, uh uh, traveled to the place where Socrates lived and he knocked on his door and Socrates answered the door he said sir I've heard you're the wisest man in all the world will you give me wisdom what's the key to wisdom what's the key to obtaining wisdom Socrates answered him not a word walked right past him got on the highway and went walking down that old dirt road out into the country the man thought for a minute what's wrong with him Crazy old man, but I've heard he's the wisest man in the, the world. So he pursued after him, caught up to him. He said, Socrates, maybe you didn't hear me. I want to know what the key to wisdom is. Do you have it? I've heard that you're the wisest man in all the world. Please, I'm begging you, please show me the key to wisdom. Socrates looked straight ahead, paid him no attention, kept walking. They came to a small river and Socrates waded out in that river about waist deep and turned around. Young man didn't know what to think about it, but he waded in after him, talking all along. 
Oh, I got to have wisdom. Socrates grabbed him by the head, grabbed him by his hair, and dunked him underwater. The young man began to fight, began to struggle, couldn't get up. Socrates held him there. The man trying to grasp for air, has no air in his lungs. He's losing his consciousness. And right as he does, Socrates lets him go, walks out of the water. The young man comes forth gasping for air, falls on the, uh, the side of the river there, and he gets up and looks, and there's Socrates walking off. He gathers his strength up and he catches up to him by the time he gets back to his, his house. And he says, sir, I don't know what to make of this. I've asked you for the key to wisdom. You've ignored me and you half killed me, half drowned me down in a river. All I wanted was the key to wisdom. And Socrates looked at him and said, son, tell me this. When you was under the water, what was on your mind? He said, air. All I could think about was getting a breath of air. He said, that's the key. When you want wisdom like you wanted that air, then you'll have it. The Bible says, seek God with all your heart. When you should seek me with all your heart, that's when you're going to find me. Do you hear me? We've got to have that hunger tonight. We can't just be at ease in Zion. Can't just come in here. You know, everything's going good. God's blessing. And just get at ease. We can't do that. And even if we come together and pray, I'm exhorting you tonight by the Holy Ghost. Individually, every single one of you have got to seek God. I've had pastor after pastor telling me, you'll never get all your church seeking God. I won't believe that. You hear me? I refuse to believe that. I refuse to believe it. I believe that every one of you, by the grace of Almighty God, can press in. Turn to Matthew chapter 6. Prayer is expected. It's not an option. Now is an age that men and women will bristle with nonconformity. Rebellion against authority. Even in the house of God. People truly have become, in a sense, a God unto themselves. Don't want nobody to tell them what to do. Don't want nobody to instruct them. They're going to do things their way. You just remember this, Israel was on their way to hell when they did what was right in their own eyes. But I can tell you this, Jesus the Lord expects you and I to pray. Do you hear me? Jesus the Lord commands you and I to pray. It's not an option. It's not for us to weigh in the balances to see whether it's profitable or not. But Jesus tonight expects us to pray. Look at verses 5 and 9 through 9. And when thou prayest. Not if. Not if. Not when you choose to. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. For they love to pray standing in the synagogue and in the corners of the streets. That's when most people do pray. Only time they pray is when they come to the church house. They got a prayer meeting. They're going to pace back and forth, screaming and hollering like they're all the time praying. But they never pray at home. Never pray in secret. Never seeking God. All they're worried about is what people think. They want people to think they're spiritual. So they cry out to God in public. But mister, you're either praying in private or you're not praying at all. Because if you pray in this house and not in that house, you're a hypocrite. We either pray here. Pray there, and then we pray here. Can't be that we well, we're going to seek God once a month and then come in here and pray every week. I'm not telling you to come in here and shut up. If you if you got trouble, if you're struggling, I know that. We're going to get to that. God wants to know you. He wants you to know Him. It's His will. It's more than just a command, but we've got to see that it is commanded and it's not an option. 
But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret. And thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee. That is a promise. Shall reward thee openly. Do you hear me? If you will pray in secret, then there will be no mistaken that you're right with God. There will be no mistaken that you're a spiritual man or woman. You know, I've been saved for decades. There's been times when I've been consistent. There's been times when I've been inconsistent. I had not always been consistent in my prayer life. I go through, you know, uh, uh, I vacillate sometimes on, sometimes off. But I know when I'm not seeking God, I'm so deceived. I don't even know it. I walk in with a, with a group of people that are, and I can talk the talk, and I can walk around and act like I know God. But listen to that spiritual man or woman. You cannot deceive them. They can see in the inner heart of man because they got the mind of Christ. And Christ said, I know what's in man. You're not going to fool nobody but yourself. God's not deceived, and neither is that spiritual man or woman. They can sense and know. They can smell the fragrance of Christ. No need putting up fronts. We're either seeking God or we're not. But if we'll be diligent in our secret discipline of prayer, then God will reward us openly. But when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask Him. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Luke 18 and 1, and he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought to always pray and not to faint. If Jesus were to walk through this door tonight and walk up to Charlie and say, Charlie, I command you to pray. I command you to seek my face. At 6.30 every morning, I'm going to be out by that old oak tree right behind your house and that is where I'm going to meet you. You think Charlie would take that serious? He's already told us in his word. He's always com- already commanded us to pray. He's already put upon us divine orders to seek his face. There's somewhere every day that Jesus is left alone waiting for you to spend time with him if you pray not. Do you hear me? I said every day there's somewhere that God has ordained to meet you and He's standing there left alone when you forget Him. That's something to think about. It's something to make us sober. He's already told us in His Holy Word. We don't have to have Him come face to face. He's already exhorted us to seek His face. In addition to that fact, Jesus expects us to pray, also expects us to be diligent, committed, and devoted unto prayer. Turn to Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Colossians 4 and 2. Not only to pray, to be diligent. The Bible says God is a rewarder of those that diligently seek Him. That's not hit and miss. That's not, you know, once a month. And listen to me, anybody who is going to set their face to seek God is going to go through a warfare from hell like they've never seen before. And I'm not telling you, you know, if you go three, four days and then you miss a day, that you give up, you throw the towel in. I'm not saying that at all. No, you need to just say, well, I missed today. I'm going to get up and start again. That's the only way you're ever going to establish yourself in your prayer life. But nevertheless, God has called us to be diligent. Calls us called us to be committed and devoted unto prayer. It says, Lord, continue. And that word in the Greek says to be earnest towards. That's what that means, to be earnest towards, to be constantly 
diligent to persevere. Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. See, the, 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 the attitude and the spirit of people that will, you know, they'll seek God for a while and then they come and say, oh, I tried God. Listen to me. You don't try God. He's going to try you. You hear me? You're not going to put God on trial. You're not going to test God to see whether His Word is true. Let every man be a liar. But the Word of God be true. If you got that spirit, you're going to definitely be tested. It's going to be exposed to you. There is no turning back. There is no other choice. You've been put in a corner by divine truth. You either seek God or step out in the kingdom of the world and serve the devil. There is no option. You can't approach it that way. Oh, I'm going to, you know, oh, I'm going to pray uh, to God. And oh, if my wife gets saved and if my kids get saved and if I get a better job. Oh, what a wicked, selfish spirit that is. You don't seek God for what you can get. You seek God for who He is. That's what kind of heart that He'll look to. A man and woman who will serve Him just because, just because He died for you. What else must He do? To prove his love. Suppose you were my enemy. All our lives we had been in opposition to one another. You'd tried everything that you'd known to hurt me. You had fought me day in and day out. You schemed against me. You plotted against me. You even stooped to murder. You murdered some of my own family. Murdered some of my friends trying to hurt me. And suppose one day all your transgression, all your criminal activity caught up with you. And the authorities grabbed you and brought you down to Angola. They tried you, found you guilty of murder, sentenced you to die in the electric chair. And suppose all this time you didn't know, you never would hear a word from me. I sent many women to try to make peace with you that the whole time I was your friend and not your enemy. But even when you heard rumor of such, you wouldn't believe it. And every person I sent to you, you stoned them to death, you killed them, you plotted against them. The day that you were scheduled to die in that electric chair, here came a man, unlocked your prison door and opened up and said, you got a visitor. Suppose I walked in with my little boy, Mike, and I said, look, sir, I know you've thought that I've been your enemy all this time, but I love you. I've tried to make peace with you, but you won't hear it. But now I'm going to let my little boy die in your steed, in your place, to prove my love for you. Can you doubt that I love you? And suppose they took him and, and he died in substitute for you. Could you question my sincerity? What kind of wicked man would say, I don't believe you love me? Even as he smelled the burning flesh of my only child dying in that electric chair when it could have been him. See, to suppose that God don't care about you is to come against the cross of Christ. He doesn't have to do anything else to prove that he loves you. What else do you want? Do you want him to, to fall on his hands and knees and sackcloth and ashes and follow you around and beg you to serve him, to pray, to seek his face? What must he do? Is the blood of Jesus Christ not enough for us to know, to be convinced that he loves us, that he desires to know us, that he desires a relationship with him? It's evil to suggest anything otherwise. 
Let's always be mindful of the blood of Jesus that was shed for us. Just as we need to be diligent in our business. Amen. Everybody's dedicated to something. You're dedicated to something. You're faithful to something. If it's nothing more than a bed. Amen. I'm not disciplined at all. I can't hardly get out of bed. Well, you're faithful to the bed then. You're faithful to something. You're devoted to something. You're diligent to something. And if we're going to find God, we must be diligent to seek His face. But we must also know this, that prayer depends on a relationship. Turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Prayer is also a relationship. We, oftentimes, we emphasize prayer as an activity. And it is, but we also must realize that it's a relationship. I'm abiding in Christ. When I wake up in the morning and pray and seek His face, and then I walk out, I have fellowship with Jesus. That fellowship is unbroken. And throughout the day, I can have prayer. I can have fellowship. First Thessalonians 5 and 17 says, Pray without ceasing. These are troubling scriptures to many people. They, they think, how can I pray all the time? That's not a, in, the, in the, uh, the form of a suggestion, but a command. doesn't say, if you can, if you will, if you've got spiritual strength, pray without ceasing. It says, pray without ceasing. That means if you start out the day right, you're seeking God, you have a relationship with Him, you're in union with Him, then throughout the day you're talking to Jesus. Whenever you lose that uh, sense of the divine presence, whenever you're walking throughout the day, wherever you work and you're in conversations and you're not keenly aware that you are under the submission, submission of Jesus Christ and you're supposed to be uh, uh, broken and humbled on the hand of God, then you step out of union with Christ. That's how you're going to walk in holiness and obedience and be used of God. And throughout the day, you're always in remembrance. God, eyes are upon me. You walk here, you have three or four or five people, they're having a conversation. Oh Lord, what do I do? Well, you need to just walk away. You don't need to be a part of that conversation. Or you walk up to somebody and they say, oh Lord, what do I do? Witness to them. See, you submit. How do I know? How do I know you practice by spending time with Him? My sheep shall know my voice and no other voice shall they follow. You know why sheep follow a shepherd? Because they have a staff. Because they're familiar with that shepherd. That shepherd is bringing them from one pasture to graze to another. And oftentimes, the shepherd comes and puts that hand on the, the back of that sheep and pushes them along. Other times, he takes that staff and he disciplines in them. You hear me? You abide under the discipline of the Holy Ghost. You abide under the hand of God. You'll learn His voice. It's not something that you always learn overnight. Amen. The, the seed of God's in you when you're born again. You have the ability to understand and perceive and recognize the voice of God, but if you never spend time with Him, you're going to forget what He sounds like. You've got to practice. You've got to be diligent. This is what Martin Luther expressed about God's expectation of prayer and our diligence. As it is the business of tailors to make clothes and cobblers to mend shoes, so it is the business of Christians to pray. Prevailing prayer is the number one priority. For you and I. It's the number one call that we can have. It's the highest ministry that you can have is to minister unto God. Higher than preaching. Higher than singing. Higher than giving. Whatever it is. The highest ministry that you have is to minister unto the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Prevail means in Webster's Dictionary to gain ascendancy through strength or superiority. Predominate, to use persuasion successfully, to have superior force or influence. See, there's a key to prevailing prayer. That's our highest call, to prevail in prayer. That means to pray through, to continue to pray until we win the victory, until we secure in the Spirit what God has asked us to pray for. But there are conditions to be met for this prevailing prayer. And those conditions are found in the Word of God. We're going to look at a few of those. Conditions of prevailing prayer. Number one, there must be complete and and entire dependency upon the atoning sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. I can't rest. I I can't lean to my own righteousness. I must have an understanding that it's His righteousness. That my only ground upon which I can lay claim to the promises in God's Word is the shed blood of Jesus Christ. It's not my righteousness. Oh, well, I don't know, Brother Britt. I mean, what needs do I really have? Would you remember the Laodicean church? It says that they said with their mouth, they had no need. They were in need of nothing. I don't believe that simply means that they walked around and said that, but it was an act, amen, of their lifestyle that they would not pray. They did not think that they were in need of anything. But the Bible says that they're blind, they're blind, naked, and miserable. And hear me tonight. You say, well, that's just talking about the Laodicean in church. No, that's talking about Britt Williams apart from Jesus Christ. Apart from Jesus, I'm blind, miserable, and naked. I am in need of much. If I pray not, then I say to God, I am in need of nothing. But I am in need, and so are you. But we've got to rest not on our own righteousness, but on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 2 and 5 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. I must yoke with the, the intercession of Christ. I must yoke with the person of Christ. I must be seated in heavenly places. He is making intercession for us, but it's only through Jesus Christ that I can enter into that travail of the Spirit who gave Himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. As a result of that redeeming sacrifice, then I can call upon the Father out of a pure heart in the name of Jesus. Hebrews 10, 19-20 says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness, confidence, boldness and confidence. I don't have to go before God and be intimidated. I don't have to go before God and be fearful. Amen. If I come before Him with a pure heart, I can be bold that through the blood of Jesus. That's why every time I pray, I plead the blood of Jesus over myself, over my wife and children, over this church. I know that the veil has been rent and that I walk through that veil with confidence and boldness because I trust in the precious blood of Jesus Christ, not in my own works. If you start out in that way, if you start out going before God, you know, I, I don't know what to pray. I don't, I'm a confused person. I don't know really how to pray. Amen. Well, you're going in your own strength. You need to go in the strength of Jesus Christ and pray with boldness. For He's called you to pray and He shed His blood that you can do so. John 14 and 13 says, And whatsoever you ask in my name, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That doesn't mean you can ask for a Cadillac just because you uh, attach Jesus' name on it. You're going to have that. Amen. He is the Word. When it's in accordance with His will and in His name, He will hear that prayer. That's a guarantee. That's a guarantee. You know, the charismatic church, they're going to 
You don't pray for mansions and money. Amen. It's all covetous. It's all wicked. It's all perverted. They're all going to burn in hell. Amen. The teachers, the false teachers that promote that you can name it and claim it. You can preach what you want. All you got to do is just say the name of Jesus. Nothing but witchcraft in the church. You can't have anything you want. You can only have what God has ordained you to have. That may be nothing. That may be a stake with a burning fire beneath your feet. That's what multitudes of martyrs got before you in centuries past. Why in this hour do we think that we're better than those that shed their blood to procure the freedom we have to worship before God in spirit and truth? Mr. the highest call that you and I can have is to lay down our life for Jesus Christ. We may not have nothing who have our needs met, but we'll have a heart that's right before God if we seek Him in purity and in truth. Oh, we got a church that wants to pray for everything. Want to be rich. Want to have no trouble. No, hey, you're going to have plenty of trouble you serve Jesus. But in the midst of the fire, he's going to be there. Hallelujah. I had trouble as a sinner. I had no peace. Thank God that I found something worth laying my life down for. Amen. Second condition is we got to completely separate ourselves from all known sin. All known sin we've got to separate ourselves from. Psalm 66 and 18 says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. What did Adam and Eve do when they fell? They hid from God. They hid from God. The conscience couldn't stand it. Had to hide. Had to hide. Even Noah, God came to, amen, to make sacrifice. To forgive. There was blood for the first time offered. Amen. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. It covered them. Amen. With the, the skins of animals. There was sacrifice made. But a man who lives in sin doesn't have a faith to stand before God. God's not going to hear the prayer of a sinner because if He does, He sanctions and He endorses that sinful lifestyle. The only prayer that God will hear from a sinner is a prayer of repentance. A prayer that's asking for forgiveness. Leonard Ravenhill says, A sinning man will stop praying and a praying man will stop sinning. Hallelujah. Want to live holy? Want to live pure? Want to live godly? You can. I said you can. But you're going to be a man or woman who seeks God. Live in sin, you're going to stop praying. The old church I was at, at Brother, uh, New Day Church, I remember Brother James used to say, you know, there's always a group of people that came to a prayer meeting that couldn't pray more than 15 minutes. You know, they just see it, just get worn out. It shows they're never praying. Some sin, some compromise in that life that can't pray through. A sinning man's going to stop praying. But a praying man's going to stop sinning. You got some problem in your life? Draw an eye unto God. He'll set you free. I said, He'll set you free. You need to know Him. He is the answer for everything. Every problem known to man, He is the answer. The third condition for prevailing prayer is to have an unquestioning faith in God's Word. There can be no wavering. The basis for everything, every discipline, a prevailing prayer is the unchanging standard of God's Word. What God has said, He will perform. If He said He's going to do it, I don't need to question that. These are promises. All the promises in Christ Jesus are yea and amen. He's given this to us. This is His covenant, His contract with us. We can't waver on that. We have to have faith that what God has promised he will perform it. If, if it's not coming to pass, it has to be something in our life. Can't be anything wrong with God. There is nothing wrong. But we must have faith to stand on the Word of God. And listen to me, meditation, when you meditate on the Word of God, when you get filled with the Word of God, then that's what you're going to pray. 
That's what you're going to pray. You're going to pray the word of God and God's going to hear his word because that's his will. We've got to ask in accordance to his will. Our motives are, uh, need to be godly. Our heart needs to be pure in everything that we ask. We're never going to seek the promotions or the gifts or the blessings to gratify our own lust, our own religiosity, our own pride. Never pray that way. God's not going to hear a prayer uh, out of a heart that's seeking its own, that seeks to exalt self. James chapter 4 verse 3 says, You ask and you receive not, because you ask amiss that you may consume it on your lust. God's never going to answer a prayer that violates His will or the will of another person. God's not going to force people. I can pray for my mother and father to get saved. I can pray for my brother and sister to get saved. Amen. God's going to apply all kind of pressure. I believe that. He's going to convict, but He's never going to force. Never going to violate that will. We're free moral agents. We have a freedom to choose. God's never going to violate what He's revealed in His Word already. Not going to pray for something that God has forbidden. God's not going to hear a prayer like that. You've got to always ask in accordance with His will. And I pray and must be consistent. He is a rewarder of those that diligently seek Him. We must believe that God is. That He is. And listen to me. You must have that conviction that God will reward you if you seek His face. With the desire of your heart. And the desire of your heart will be His desire. And the highest desire that we must have is to know Him. To please Him. Is that your highest desire tonight? To please God? Is that, is that the consuming passion of your heart above all things in life to please God? If it's not, you need the desire that God desires you to have and that's that you would want to please Him above all things. Listen to what these saints of God of old said. Prayer worth calling prayer. Prayer that God will call true prayer and will treat as true prayer takes far more time by the clock than any one man in a thousand thinks. Alexander White. Samuel Chadwick said to pray as God would have us pray is the greatest achievement on earth. Such a life cost. It takes time. Ian e. Bounds, called the Apostle of Prayer, says prayer which is felt as a mighty force is the immediate or intermediate product of much time spent with God. Our short prayers owe their point and efficiency to the long ones that precede them. The short prevailing prayer cannot be prayed by one who has not prevailed in a mighty struggle of long continuity. Work of God. It is the work of God. In other words, if we say we have a church here, we have a call here, and there's no prayer, amen, that's a contradiction. God has called us to wonderful to pray. God has called us here to pray, to seek His face, to establish a place where His presence can be seen and recognized in this barren land of darkness, to be a light in the midst of this crooked and perverted generation. We must either draw nigh to men, says Leonard Ravenhill, and so draw away from God 
or draw nigh to God and away from men. The choice, though not easy, is always ours. I want you to hear that again. It's going to cost you fellowship. It's going to cost you fellowship with people. Amen. You're going to have to deny people to spend time with God. It's going to always cost you sleep. Do you hear me? It's going to always cost you that bedtime to spend time with God, either early, early in the morning or late, late at night. Jesus Christ, listen to me, pure, holy, without any wrong motive. Hallelujah. He felt it necessary to seek God, to spend all night in some desert place secluded, seeking the face of God. How is it in this hour, the body of Christ, suppose that we who are apt to stray don't need to seek God. That is the epitome of pride and arrogance. If I'm going to do the works of God, if I'm going to do the work of God, I must follow His example. Spend time and protracted prayer with Him. Oh, I'll not fulfill what God's called me to do. Prayer, just as all disciplines, must be learned. Got to be learned. There's hope. You might be discouraged. You might say, I ain't never prayed, brother. But I really never have established a prayer life. Amen. Fear not. There is hope. Because God can help you. It's okay, you hear me? To start out your prayer like your, your Christian walk. That's normal. I didn't start out, you know, praying. It was eight months before I ever even tried to pray. And God began to deal with me. You know, and then I remember going up. I didn't know any better. I was a young girl. I went and got in my closet. That's what I did. I put a mattress in my closet and put it up against the wall and went and got in there. And you know, I didn't really know what to do, what to say. I just got in there and started talking to God. You know, the phone, I never get no phone calls. Get phone calls one after another. People knocking on the door. All kind of, uh, you know, distractions. The devil fought me. Then I tried, you know what, in my house, getting down on my knee. I didn't know any better. Nothing wrong with getting on your knees. Maybe somebody in here finds that the best way. That's fine. But what I had to do, I finally went out and I said, now, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to say I'm going to walk 30 minutes. That's what I did. I looked at my clock. I said, I'm going to walk 30 minutes. Now I know I'm 30 minutes away where i got to get back. So, you know, I might as well just pray. So I'd walk 30 minutes and then I'd turn around and walk back. I'd pray in an hour. I just talked to God. I just got to know Him. I just got to a place where I just shared my heart. What the things that bothered me that day. My fears, my concerns. And you know what? I met Him there. I didn't know His voice before then. Other than just that I was an infant in Christ. But when I began to share my heart with Him, He shared His heart with me. Mister, you're going to reap what you sow. If you give your heart to God, He's going to give His heart to you. I wasn't always diligent, but I learned to pray. I prayed in tongues. Oh, you know, that devil fought me on that. You're wasting your time. You're babbling like an idiot. Hey, let me tell you something. You pray in the Holy Ghost. That's effectual prayer. If you don't have nothing to pray in English, pray in the Holy Ghost. You tell the, let the devil talk all he wants. Oh, you're wasting your time. That's fine. I'm going to talk in tongues. I'm going to talk in tongues. I'm going to pray. That's the Holy Ghost praying through me. The Apostle Paul says, I pray in tongues more than you all. I will pray in the Spirit. I will sing in the Spirit. I will pray in the understanding. I'm going to sing in the understanding purpose in his heart to pray. Amen. First Corinthians chapter 14 says, He that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men. How be he speaketh mysteries in his spirit, but he speaks unto God. If you can't pray in English, pray in the Holy Ghost. He'll help you. I know some people say, oh, you can't do that until the, you know, the Spirit moves upon you. That's a lie. I don't believe that. 
Amen. The Holy, I can't heal at will. I can't perform miracles at will. But that prayer language is given to me for the purpose of prayer. Amen. I will to pray. The Holy Ghost gives me the utterance. I'm not making that up. That's the Holy Ghost in union with me. But it's there for me to pray. And it's the will of God to pray all the time. If God says pray without ceasing, then He's given me the Holy Ghost night and day, every minute, every heartbeat to pray. If God says you pray in the Spirit, amen, and He's commanded me to do so, then I can pray in tongues 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. He'd have never commanded me to pray in the Spirit if He hadn't given it to me to do it in. Hallelujah. Somebody say amen. The Bible tells us to pray for the glory of God in His will, in faith, in the name of Jesus, and with persistence. Just as that growing child learns to walk, you and I are going to learn to pray to become mature sons and daughters in God. And this is the prayer that we need to pray in the beginning, and we're going to pray tonight. Luke 11 and 1, And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray. The best way to learn to pray is to pray. I can't teach you to pray. best way for you to learn to pray is prayer. Andrew Murray said, reading a book about prayer, listening to lectures and talking about it is very good, but it won't teach you to pray. You get nothing without exercise, without practice. I might listen for a year to a professor of music playing the most beautiful music, but that won't teach me to play an instrument. Do you hear me? Best way to learn how to, uh, to speak in a foreign language is to speak in that language. Brother Mike and... Uh, all the brethren down there, the missionaries that are in that language school, uh, you know, they're, t they're told they need to go, you know, to South America, go into Mexico, speak the language, speak the language, and then you'll learn it. That's the same with the foreign language, amen, of prayer. You and I got to speak that language. We've got to seek God. We've got to practice. We'd have to put ourselves under discipline. To be a Christian is to be a disciple. That means one who is under discipline. You suppose that Christianity is something you're just going to naturally flow in? You're going to have to choose. You're going to have to buffet yourself. You're going to have to deny yourself. You're going to have to choose the cross and follow Jesus. That is the nature. If any man would be my disciple, let him deny himself, pick up his cross daily, and follow after me. If a man would seek to gain his life, he would lose it. He must lose his life for my name's sake to gain it. It's the nature of a disciple to come under discipline. It's far easier to steer a moving car than one that's parked. Hey, Amen. You go get out of the car here and start trying to turn the wheel. Step out in faith. Hey, Amen. Begin to pray. I don't know what to pray. 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 Just talk. Talk to God. Share, him, share with Him your heart. Listen to me. Every one of you hunger for Jesus. That's the thing. The only thing that will satisfy you. It's the only thing. You hunger for Jesus. That's what you hunger for. Many people, they're looking for satisfaction in their marriage. They're looking for satisfaction in their children. They're looking for satisfaction in their job. Amen. And I'm not serving God for satisfaction. But I can tell you this, that the only fulfillment and satisfaction you're going to have in this life and the next to come is in the person of Jesus Christ. So step out by faith and seek to know Him. Because that is the essence of Christianity. That is eternal life. As is the sister of reading, pardon me. Prayer is learned by meditating upon the Scriptures. You're going to learn prayer by meditation. 
on scriptures. And that's the key, that's the difference between the intake of the Bible, that's going to bridge you to prayer. Meditate, meditation upon the scriptures. Because when you meditate upon God's word, that's when you're going to pray God's word. You say, well, what do you mean? I'm saying you wake up, you read the Bible. You may only have one scripture that that's jumps off the page at you. It would be something you meditate upon. It might be something preached, something you heard, something a brother and sister said to you, but you meditate upon that word. It might be, you know, that someone said, you know, you're going to be persecuted for righteousness' sake. And then, you know, the next day that thing comes alive because mom or daddy or brother and sister, one of your friends or somebody at work begins to talk about you, cast your name out as evil. And you begin to meditate on that word that, oh, you know, the Bible says that the world's going to hate us, not, you know, to be alone. The Bible says that, oh, blessed are those, well, you know, when my name will be cast out evil as evil for, for the name of Jesus. Amen. And you begin to meditate upon that word and then out of that heart of meditation will come forth prayer and you begin to say oh God I thank you Lord that you've counted me worthy to suffer persecution Lord and then you you know you remember that the Bible says to love your enemies to pray for those who despitefully use you and you begin to say Lord I know your Bible says that all that these that hate me these that despise me these that cast out my name is evil that I'm supposed to pray for my enemies and Lord I just pray for them now you see how that works that's every aspect of your life you have intake of God's Word, you meditate upon it, and out of that heart that's filled with the Word of God, you pray. You say, oh, but I might get discouraged. Don't get discouraged. Listen to what a Andrew Bonar said. Oh, brother, pray. In spite of Satan, pray. Spend hours in prayer. Rather neglect friends than not to pray. Rather fast and lose breakfast, dinner, and supper and sleep than not to pray. We must not talk about prayer. We must pray in earnest. The Lord is near. He comes softly while the virgins slumber. He's going to catch those unaware that don't seek His face. He's looking for those that love is appearing. Do you hear me? He's going to come for them that are watching. Watch and pray. Watch and pray. Watch and pray, the Bible says. That this doesn't happen to you. That this doesn't come upon you. Watch and pray. Listen to what the Puritans said about meditation. What is the reason that our desires, like an arrow shot by a weak bow, do not reach their mark? But only this, we do not meditate before prayer. The great reason why our prayers are ineffectual is because we do not meditate before them, said William Bates. William Bridge said this, As it is the sister of reading, so it is the mother of prayer. Though a man's heart be much indisposed to pray, yet if he can fall into a meditation of God and the things of God, his heart will soon come off to prayer. Begin with reading or hearing. Go to meditation. End in prayer. Reading without meditation is unfruitful. Meditation without reading is hurtful. To meditate and to read without prayer upon both is without blessing. Meditate on the Word of God and you're going to find that your heart will seek God. Meditate on His Word and you're going to find that you're going to levitate. You're going to be drawn to God and before His throne. Prayer must be planned. And I'm going to end with this. It's got to be planned. See, we can't really just hear a sermon about prayer tonight and say, well, that's true. I need to pray. We've got a plan to pray. What you don't plan is what you won't do. Do you hear me? What you plan, hey man, what you're not going to plan to do, you're not going to do. It'd be, you know, wonderful to talk about it, but we got a plan to do it. The Bible's very clear that it's God's desire to answer our prayers, but He can't answer what we don't offer. We have not because you ask not. You have not because you ask not. You see, that's why every month we plan to have an all-night prayer meeting, and we have it. 
But if we just walked around in here, you know, after church and once a while at fellowship and said, you know what we ought to do? We ought to pray all night, one night. Yeah, man, that's, that's what we ought to do. We never do it. You've got to plan. That's why you, every day, have to plan to seek God and set aside that time. I know with me, especially I'm, I work shift work, that's one of the hardest things in the world because my, I don't have a set schedule. But what I'm going to ask us to do tonight is to come and to make a vow before God. And it's not going to be bondage. I'm not going to say, you know, if you miss a day or, or you, you know, you know, I, I, I missed a day, brother, but I might as well give up. It's not going to be like that. We're going to make a vow to seek God for the next 30 days. I've heard it said that if you do something for 30 days, you'll establish a habit. How many want to have the habit of prayer? Amen. See, if we're going to be successful in our prayer life, we need to plan to pray. If we fail to plan, we're going to plan to fail. If we fail to plan, we're going to plan to fail. Most people, they're going to acknowledge their need for prayer, but they're not willing to say, okay, starting Monday morning, starting Thursday morning, whatever it's going to be, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. Amen. Let's all stand. Come on, Brother James. We're going to make an appointment with God tonight. See, it's so important that personally we know Him. Because we can affect our generation if we know Him, but only if we know Him. It's not just as a pastor my obligation to try to compel you to pray when you come here, but that that will touch your life. And if you will pray, then most of the work, will work you know, it will fall in place. Most of what God's called us to do will fall in place. Just because we're praying, we all have a purpose. We all have a task. That's going to come to fruition if you're seeking God. Charles Spurgeon said, Even as the moon influences the tides of the sea, even so does prayer influence the tide of godliness. We can affect this town. We can affect this parish or this county and the, the neighboring parishes and counties if we'll seek God. There's nothing will be withhold, withheld from us if we will seek His face. What is the reason some believers are so much brighter and holier than others? I believe the difference in 19 cases out of 20 arises from the different habits of private prayer. I believe that those who are not eminently holy pray little. And those who are eminently holy pray much. That's a true statement. I want you to come to this altar. If you're serious. And I want you, us to ask God. Ask Jesus to help us to pray. For the next 30 days, you say, well, I, I don't know if I can pray an hour. Then don't, don't say you're going to pray an hour. If you never have established a prayer life, when you come here tonight, what I want you to say is for 30 days, I'm going to at least spend time with God and begin to talk with Him and believe Him to establish a 45 minutes, an hour, hour and a half, whatever. A time, we're not here to say, you know, it must be an hour or two hours. It must be that you get before God and that He teach you and train you by the Holy Ghost. But unless you plan, if you just continue to go on and say, well, I, I, you know, I, I miss sometimes, sometimes I pray, but I, I, I'm, a, I'm fearful to make a covenant or step out by faith because I'm afraid I'm going to fail. Listen, if you miss a day, just get up the next day and start again. But I promise you as a church, if we come together, we pray over one another and, and make covenant with God, He's going to help us. And for the next 30 days, every single service we have, I'm going to pray for us that God will help us to draw nigh to Him. Amen? Let's come and make covenant with God.
Baby, 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 baby,
Thank you for your word tonight. I thank you, Lord, for your covenant, your grace, your mercy and patience with us, Father. We just so thank you, Lord, that you love us enough to speak to us, Father. We thank you for your presence tonight. And Father, I thank you, Lord, that we're going in your strength and in your power, Lord, to seek your face. We just give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismissed. Hallelujah. Against God's word, build your heart.